0: Welcome to this podcast from Wilkesboro Baptist Church, where we are on a mission to lead our neighbors and the nations to follow Jesus. Find your copy of Scripture and look up Proverbs chapter 8. Read Proverbs chapter 8 tonight. Our uh, worship service, our sermon title is Walking Wisely in Our Thinking. It's learning to develop a biblical worldview or a wise worldview that comes to us from the pages of of Scripture. I don't normally set up another sermon I'm going to preach, but I've been burdened for a number of weeks about the sermon I'm going to preach next week, Walking Wisely at our home, and we're going to take a look at Proverbs twenty-two six. Um, and so let me just tell you this up front and get it out of the way. If you're a parent or grandparent, or if you have influence over the life of children, then you need to pay attention next week. You invite somebody to listen, watch. If, you're, if you know somebody that's a parent, tell it, share the worship service with them next week. I think there's something to be said for what Proverbs teaches us about walking wisely in our homes, particularly with regard to parents and children. I would ask that you pray about that sermon as we move forward in preparing it and in delivering it next week. Uh, but that's next week's sermon. I was kind of astounded as I got to developing the sermons in the book of Proverbs I thought I would be in Proverbs for about six or eight weeks. I've already been in Proverbs for about six or eight weeks, and I've got about nine sermons left or so in the book of Proverbs. It's rich with insights and understanding. In the coming weeks, we'll deal with the tongue, and we'll deal with character uh, regarding pride and humility, uh, and deal with anger and all sort of other things that the book of Proverbs addresses. Today, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the last part of the introduction in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs has an extended introduction all the way to chapter 9, where Solomon as a father is giving some foundations and frameworks for the Proverbs that he's going to deliver and he's going to compile in chapter 10 and beyond. And in chapter 8, what he does is he introduces us, or reintroduces us, rather, to wisdom as a lady, and and lady wisdom who was present at creation. The whole chapter, including chapter 9, is really a declaration of a biblical worldview. And it begins with wisdom at a crossroads calling out. Now, Now, for some of you, you know what it's like to be at a crossroads. You know what it's like to be at a place... Where you could go right or left, or maybe you could go right, left, or straight, and you're trying to figure out which is the right way to go. I've mentioned this before as your pastor. I'm directionally challenged. There have been times where I know I needed to turn east on an interstate, and I ended up turning west on an interstate only to realize several miles down the road that I had turned the wrong direction and I had to get back on the interstate which is not always easily done turn around and go the other way I remember as a child we were camping with my family and I got lost in the campground I mean campgrounds shouldn't be hard to get you shouldn't be able to get lost in a campground They just shouldn't be able to do it. There's about 50 campsites, and there's only one that is the one that is your family. And sure enough, I got lost in a campsite. The best thing that ever happened to me was Google Maps. I'm serious. I I couldn't get anywhere that I needed to go if I didn't have a a navigation system that I could pull up on my phone and it give directions. Of course, the problem with that is what happens when Google Maps is wrong. Or Apple Maps, what happens when it takes you down a road that doesn't exist in a more real situation in life? What happens when you come to a place in your life where you have a choice to make? Maybe you're a teenager and you're deciding what college to go to or what major to choose. Or maybe you're a young adult and you're deciding, are you going to pursue marriage or are you not going to pursue marriage? Or what about a career path? All of us find ourselves at various crossroads or intersections in life. And I want to tell you something. God has a plan for us even in those moments and situations. In Proverbs 8, what wisdom does is she calls out to us at several specific crossroads of life and invites us to perceive what it is that God wants us to know. Now, if you like taking notes... We've provided some notes in the worship guide in front of you. If you miss the blank, ask me after service, but we'll put the blanks on the screen so you can follow along with those. And there's some places for you to take some notes in the worship guide. So let's begin reading in Proverbs chapter 8. Does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice on the heights beside the way? At the crossroads, she takes her stand. Beside the gates in front of the town, at the entrance of the portals, she cries aloud. Now, what's interesting is that if you go back to chapter 7, and it's been a few weeks since we worked through chapter 7. Chapter 7 is that chapter where the fo- woman folly, the woman adultery, is calling out to that particular simpleton and inviting him to engage in adultery, in an adulterous affair. And she called out in the dark, she called out in the secret, she called out in the way. But wisdom calls out in the middle of the street. Wisdom calls out in public. Wisdom calls out in a way that is designed for everyone here. Wisdom is not just calling out to the fool. Wisdom is calling out to the fool, to the simple, to the wise... To the almost wise, to the ones that will be wise if they listen, wisdom is calling out to everyone. She's standing at the crossroads of life, offering us advice, advice directly from God himself. Advice that will guide our way. And what kind of advice does she call out about? Verse 4, to you, O men, I call. My cry is to the children of man. O simple ones, learn prudence. O fools, learn sense here, for I will speak noble things. And from my lips will come what is right. For my mouth will utter truth. That's the first crossroads. We'll come back to it in a moment. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are righteous. There is nothing twisted or crooked in them. They are all straight to him who understands and right to those who find Knowledge, take my instruction instead of silver, and knowledge rather than choice gold, for wisdom is better than jewels, and all that you, do, all that you may desire cannot compare with her. Here's the first call. Wisdom calls out at the crossroads of truth. The crossroads of truth inviting us to believe what is true. Folks, we are living in a day and an age where truth is really whatever we'd like it to be. I've mentioned this before in sermons. We're a culture that does not like absolute truth unless we're talking about the decimal points with regard to our bank accounts. Uh, no one gets to just adjust them. We're, we're uncomfortable when someone says that there's an absolute universal affirmation about what is right or what is wrong or what is true or what is false. We're very uncomfortable with that because we are a culture that has been inundated with pluralism, the idea that there are a variety of religious viewpoints or relig- religious belief systems. A recent poll, by the way, Barna's study, showed that 64% of millennials, believe that religious views are basically different versions of the same spiritual message. 64% of millennials in America essentially think that every religious system is a different way of saying the same thing. Folks, that is just patently not true. It's not what the Bible teaches, and wisdom is standing here, and here's what she says. There is truth from my lips. There's something that I'm going to say that is right and is true, and if you ignore what I say, you're going to go down the path that is falsehood, a path that is wrong, a path that is incorrect, a path that is not true. Uh, One way to illustrate this, and I've got to be thankful to Mac McGinnis for this, He, he read from Lewis Carroll's Uh, little novel about Humpty Dumpty a few months back in a deacon's meeting referenced it and I got to rereading it again in a conversation that Humpty Dumpty, you remember Humpty Dumpty Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall you all know who Humpty Dumpty is he was having a conversation with Alice And, and here's the way the conversation went he said only one for birthday presents you know there's glory for you, that's Humpty Dumpty's line and Alice said I don't know what you mean by glory Humpty Dumpty smiled contemptuously. Of course you don't till I tell you. I meant there's a nice knockdown argument for you. Alice objected. But glory doesn't mean a nice knockdown argument. And here's what Humpty Dumpty said. When I use a word, it means just what I choose it to mean, neither more or neither less. The question is, said Alice, whether you can make words mean so many different things. Humpty Dumpty said, the question is, which is to be master? And that's all. That is a very prescient story for contemporary American culture. Contemporary culture says this, whatever I say I am, whatever I think myself to be, whatever I want to be, that is what I declare myself to be. And that is my truth. And and We better be very careful when we confront anybody with anything that is in discord with their particular truth. Uh, The reality is, though, that we don't live in that world. We cannot make things to be true just because we say they are true. God is the one who gets to declare what is true and what is right and what is righteous and what is moral and what is good and what is perfect. We don't get to make those decisions because when we do make those decisions, we're always going to bend towards something that we want or like and find ourselves in a place of destruction and difficulty the track of personal truth that is so permeated contemporary culture and has so invested itself even in the life of Christians and in the church all too often, what it means is I get to decide what I like. I get to decide what I say is true and what I say is right. And the problem is when we step down that path, we move ourselves away from the path of protection that God promises if we'll line up with what he says. See, if we're going to ignore universal absolute truth, what are we going to do? We're going to ignore anything that makes us feel uncomfortable. Because there's nobody who adopts a personal truth that adopts a personal truth that makes them uncomfortable. We only adopt personal truths that make us feel comfortable, that make us feel nice on the inside, warm and fuzzy, better. The problem with that approach is I can say all I want, that fire is not going to burn me. Or I can say all I want, if I poke myself with a knife, I'm not going to bleed. I can have all the personal truth I want in those spheres, but we know what's going to happen when we put our hand in the fire. When we poke ourselves with a knife, we can't make ourselves not bleed and we can't make ourselves not burn. We don't have control over what is true or not. We only have an obligation to accept what is true or not. And the Bible gives us very clear instructions and guidance about what is true and who is true. God says very clearly that he is the author and the arbiter of truth. So if you're, you're sitting here with me and we're trying to figure out what does it mean to have a wise worldview, What does it mean to make sure that we're holding on to truth? Well, let me tell you where we ought to start. We ought not start anywhere else other than God's word. God is the one who gets to tell us what is true and what is false. God is the one who gets to tell us what is right and what is wrong. And as a Christian sitting here, say, how do I confront and how do I deal with a world that is moving toward a personal truth mentality? What do I do? Well, make yourself a student of Scripture. Listen to and read what God says is right and true. And when the truth of Scripture confronts what you think is true then let me tell you, God's not the one who's wrong. You're the one who's wrong, and we need to acknowledge that and humble ourselves before it and change. And and here's why, because it it matters eternally. God is the one who said that people are either sinners or saints. And, And the only difference between a sinner and a saint is a person who's been forgiven by the blood of Jesus us we're all sinners by birth and by nature but we've been made saints if we put our faith and trust in Jesus and that's what God says about us and that's what God says about the experience of our world and wisdom calls out wisdom says I have something to say and it is true and we need to hear what is true and where do we find truth we find truth in the pages of scripture wisdom doesn't just call out at the crossroad of truth that the the, the The next crossroad is very uh, friendly with the crossroad of truth. It's the crossroad of morality. They go hand in hand. They're interconnected. In fact, that's where we see the greatest challenge with the contemporary culture and its movement toward an idea of personal truth is it shifted our views on what we believe to be right and wrong. So when wisdom calls out at the crossroad of morality, she is inviting us to love what is right. Read with me, if you will, in verse 11. Verse, 10, uh, verse 12, rather, I'm sorry. I, wisdom, she says, dwell with what? Prudence. I find knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech, those are the things that I hate. I have counsel and sound wisdom, insight, strength. By me, kings reign and rulers decree what is just. By me, princes rule and nobles, all who govern justly. I love those who love me and those who seek me diligently find me. Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, even fine gold, and my yield better than choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness and the paths of justice, Granting an inheritance to those who love me and filling their treasuries. Wisdom says that she is the one who is righteous dwells with righteousness, dwells with prudence. She is the one that dwells where the fear of the Lord is. And the fear of the Lord is the opposite of accepting pride and evil and unrighteousness. And by the way, in the coming weeks, we're going to aim at pride because Proverbs over and over again aims at pride and aims at vainglory and self-assessments. Wisdom calls out and invites us to love what is right. But how in the world do we know what is Right? If we see contemporary culture, contemporary culture would say, right is whatever you say it is, or right is whatever you feel it to be. If it doesn't feel right, it's not right. But if it feels right, go for it. But that's not what wisdom says. Wisdom says there are things that are right and there are things that are wrong. Pride is wrong. Evil is wrong. Unrighteousness is wrong. Lack of prudence is wrong. Lack of understanding and knowledge is wrong. These things are wrong and because they're wrong, because they're foolish and they're full of folly, when we go down that path, we're destined to find ourselves in a place that is in opposition to the God who created the world, the world that we need to line up underneath God in. See, you see, the tendency with right and wrong when we get into discussion of morality is to either go to one extreme or the other. We either go to the extreme of legalism or the extreme of license. What's legalism? Uh, some of you know exactly what legalism is because you had a mom or a daddy or you went to a church that was legalistic. Legalism is essentially this. It's what I say is right is right and you have to do what I say. That's that's a short answer for what legalism is. It's not legal. You can have your own convictions. For example, I know some folks who have pretty strong convictions about television. They don't have one, and they don't watch it. That's a conviction. It's legalistic, though, when they then say to everybody else, you shouldn't have a television and you should throw yours out. That's legalism. A conviction is something that you hold to personally for your own spiritual development, spiritual life. Legalism is when I step over the line and say what I say is right and what I say is wrong. That's what the Pharisees were guilty of. Uh, Let me pause for just a second and do a complete aside. A few months back, Dr. Mike gave me uh, a copy of The Chosen DVDs, and I started watching those. Really fantastic uh, depiction of Jesus and his ministry on earth. And there are interactions that he has with the Pharisees and religious leaders, just like he did in the New Testament. They depict some of those, and the Pharisees were guilty of legalism. Listen, they were guilty of saying, okay, we don't want to break the Ten Commandments, so we're going to make about 100 other commandments, really 700 other commandments would have boiled down to. 700 other commandments to make sure that you don't break any of the Sabbath laws. So if you don't break the Sabbath law, if you don't carry your mat on the Sabbath day, you're not going to break the Sabbath law that God says. So they, were, they created other laws. That's legalism. And some of us are guilty of that with morality. We think we've got the right to say what is right and wrong. Folks, you and I don't have the right to say what is right and wrong. We have the right to repeat what God says is right and wrong. But I don't get to say what is right and wrong. God does. The opposite extreme is license. It's the idea of saying, Well, I get to say what's right and wrong, not just for me, but for you and for everybody else. And I think it's right for me to do this or that or the other. And folks, that's some of the tension we have in our homes, we have in our schools, we have in our neighborhoods. We don't agree on what's right and wrong, we don't agree on what's true and what's false. And we've got teenagers and young adults and older adults alike who say, you're not going to tell me that this thing is right or wrong. I get to say what's right, and I'm going to do whatever I want to do with the life that I have. That's license. By the way, there's a lot to be said about license in the book of Proverbs, and it's called foolishness. When we try to say we're the ones in charge, we get ourselves in trouble. A lot. You say, Pastor, you're meddling. You're getting into my life. You're getting into the life of everybody else. How in the world can you possibly say that there's a right and a wrong and a true and a false how can you go there? Because that is not my experience in school and that is not my experience at work. Cheating is something my parents told me not to do, but 90 some percent of teenagers and college students cheat and don't think it's wrong at all. They just do it. They just go about it. And, and where, did they, where, where did they learn that? License. And how dare you stand up and say that there is right and wrong and there's true and false? Well, that's where we get to the third crossroads. There's a reason That the book of Proverbs tells us there's true and false, there's right and wrong, there's acts of old. Ages ago I was set up at the first before the beginning of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. Where there were no springs abounding with water. Before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. Before He had made the earth with its fields. Or the first of the dust of the world, when he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle in the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master workman. I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world, and delighting in the children of man. And now, sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise. Do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. What's wisdom saying? Wisdom is saying in personified terminology that she was present with God at creation. The reason God gets to say what is true and false, the reason God gets to say what is right and wrong is because the world, the universe, and everything in it are his creation's. We don't live in a system that's outside the dictates of the God who created it. We live in a system uh, whereby under which God created it. And so God gets to declare, set, describe, define all the rules. And wisdom calls out to us at the crossroad of creation, inviting us to discover the creator of life, the one who is right and the one who is holy and the one who is glorious. Some of you have wondered over the years, What in the world has happened to our society? I've wondered that. I've questioned that. How in the world did we go from the 1950s to the 2020s? And what in the world shifted in that course of two generations? How did we get where we are, where it looks like everybody's lost their minds with regard to truth And morality and righteousness and what is good. When we're in a day and age where what is evil, biblically, is called good and is celebrated. How did we get there? Uh, We could spend hours on that lecture. But here's the short end of it. When you give up God as creator... When you give up and forget that God is the author of life and you have any other worldview that begins any other place other than God being the one who created the world, anything can then go with regard to morality, truth, and righteousness. Or what would people say is morality, truth, and righteousness. We lost the battle for the worldview in our country when our country adopted an evolutionary naturalistic perspective of how the world came about. Once you lose God as the author and creator of the world, there is no stopping an immoral movement that shifts truth and that shifts righteousness and that shifts everything else. Evolutionary naturalism says that we came about by chance, that there was an explosion not caused by anything we know, and that explosion resulted in the naturalistic means of evolution, and we are what we are because... Some amoeba became some other form of creature, became some other form of creature, and here we are. We're descended from single-celled organisms. It's evolutionary naturalism. In other Eastern religions, we came about from an impersonal force. There was something out there that was all-powerful, but not personal. Uh, The problem with that particular viewpoint in terms of a a philosophical system is you are persons. You can think. Uh, We don't exist in groupthink. We can individually think. You cannot have personality from impersonality. So the problem is that neither of these viewpoints and any of the other creation myths or narratives over the years that have been espoused by different religious systems, they don't give an explanation for the world in which we live. They don't make sense of the world in which we live. But biblical creationism does. What God said in Genesis and how he is described in the book of Psalms and in the book of Proverbs here in Proverbs chapter 8 explains the world in which we live. And it leads us to several implications For our own spiritual development. Here's the first one. We need to discover God through the wonder of creation. Listen, creation is glorious and wonderful. And that's what Wisdom says. She says, I was there when all these things came to be. I was there before that happened. And here's what took place in 1953. An atheist by the name of Sir Fred Hoyle. He was a Cambridge astronomer. He was the one who coined the term the Big Bang. He was observing that, uh, uh, that uh, about all of the elements of life and how they came to be. Here's what he discovered. He discovered that the nuclear ground state energy levels of elements like helium, carbon, oxygen, and beryllium had to be extraordinarily fine-tuned enough for carbon to be created. If any of these ground state levels were just 1% different then there would not be enough carbon in the universe to allow for the possibility of life. Hoyle, an atheist, here's what he said. He said, he wrote this, a common sense interpretation of the facts suggests that a super intellect has monkeyed with physics as well as with chemistry, biology, and there are no blind forces worth speaking about in nature. The numbers one calculates from the facts seemed to me so overwhelming as to put this conclusion almost beyond question. And he's an atheist. Looking at the elements as they have come about in the world that we know scientifically. And he said, there's no way this happened by chance. Here's another one. This is kind of outside of my league. I'm not a scientist. But we know that a proton is... 1836 times the mass of an electron but science has calculated that if that ratio were slightly larger or smaller then we would not have an atom and therefore we would the universe as we know it would not exist That's one of dozens of specifically fine-tuned examples that the universe in which we live, the world in which we live, the the planet on which we live is designed perfectly for life. Even atheists like Richard Dawkins in his book, The God Delusion, borrows language that only a creationist should use. He uses phrases like the appearance of design. Well, the reason... Our world appears to be designed is because our world was designed by a creator who wants to know us and love us and who is invested in a relationship with us. So we need to discover, implication one, we need to discover God through the wonder of creation. And that's what wisdom does. She invites us to get to know the God who made everything. Second implication is this, we need to discover our own smallness through the greatness of creation. My vacation last week I, I read a book about Neil Armstrong a biography about the first man who stepped on the moon and they he and Buzz Aldrin and Mike Collins when they were in Apollo 11 had this interesting conversation when they got outside the earth's atmosphere and were able to look back through the window of Apollo 11 at the earth and they observed that they couldn't see any country lines there were there were there were no there were no lines that that dictated where America ended and Mexico began and they, they observed that from the from space looking back at this earth that they had just flown away from that we should be able to get along better we should be able to not be divided because what connects us being on planet earth is so much more important than what divides us and they got around the moon and they finally got so far away from earth that Neil Armstrong could hold his thumb up to planet Earth and cover Earth with his thumb in his field of vision. I'm gonna tell you something, folks. We are incredibly small. You know what really messes us up? Messes us up when we think we're bigger than we really are. When we think we're bigger than we really are, we think things like, I can decide my own truth. We think things like, I can do my own morality. You can't tell me what's going on. Uh, Very practically, we get really mad when somebody cuts us off in traffic. We get really angry when a spouse doesn't listen to us. We get really flubbed up when we live in a culture where, should we wear masks or shouldn't we wear masks? man, this really bothers me. I don't like wearing a mask and, and they're telling me I have to wear a mask or I need to wear a mask or maybe I think I need to wear it. All this kind of stuff that's little and small and we let all of our little personal inconveniences and frustrations spill out over into how we act and treat other people. Tell you, when we see creation for what it really is, we get to discover our own smallness. Let me tell you, that's a really good place. For you and I to be as followers of Jesus. Because we realize that God is the one who is great. And what matters is that we worship and glorify him. You say, Pastor, you've talked about a worldview. And you've really not talked much about a worldview in this sermon. How in the world do I start figuring out what a biblical worldview is? Where, where do I get my, my, my starting point for that? Well, a biblical worldview starts at creation. But a Christian worldview starts with the founder of our faith, Jesus Himself. You should think about this. We never graduate from the Christian experience of knowing the gospel. We never graduate from the Christian experience of knowing Jesus personally. I want to tell you, I wish every single one of you would develop a strong biblical worldview by reading scripture on a daily basis. At the bottom of your worship guide, there's a list of resources. A few of them, Institute for Creation Research is the website. A couple of books are mentioned there. Some reflection questions. I'd love for you to read those books and and form a framework or begin to form a framework for a Christian worldview. But let me tell you what's more important than any of those things. It's meeting the creator himself. In, In Proverbs 8. It's fascinating because wisdom is personified. You know what that means? It's fancy English language for wisdom taking on the characteristic of a person talking. And and that's not unique to the book of Proverbs. The Bible itself has Jesus as the personification of God's glory. And he is the person of God in human flesh. And by the way, wisdom says invites us at the crossroad of truth, invites us at the crossroad of righteousness and morality, and invites us at the crossroad of creation. And if you skip forward in the New Testament, John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You want a biblical worldview? Meet Jesus. In, in, in Matthew 5, 17, Jesus says this, I did not come to abolish the law and the prophets. I came to fulfill them. In other words, he didn't come to take away righteousness. He came to become Righteousness, Wisdom stands at the crossroad of morality and invites us to what? To know Jesus. To meet Jesus who is the righteousness that every single one of us needs. And move forward into the book of Colossians or John 1 or Hebrews 1. Take your pick. Colossians 1 says this. For by him, by Jesus, were all things created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him. And for him, wisdom stands at the crossroad of creation and invites us to get to know Jesus, who is the creator of the universe. You know where a Christian worldview begins? It begins with meeting the Savior. If you're a believer and you're in the room, the best way for you to develop a strong understanding and a strong biblical Christian worldview is to get to know Jesus on a daily basis. Sure, you need to develop your philosophical chops. You need to think through things that are deeper than sometimes we allow ourselves to do theologically, scientifically, or philosophically. That would help all of us. Particularly that would help you parents of kids that are growing up in a school system where the the framework of uh, public education isn't consistent with the framework of biblical uh, theology. It would help us all. But the best thing you can do today is to talk with Jesus. It's to meet Jesus. It's to sit and, get, and gain uh, insights from Jesus himself because of what he offers to us in the pages of Scripture. And if you're here and you don't have any clue about a biblical worldview, you don't have any clue uh, about salvation, you're, you're doing your own thing, you have your own truth, let me beg of you to hear wisdom's call. For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. Folks, if you're watching or if you're present in the room, and you don't have a relationship with the one who is all wise, invisible, perfect, righteous, and glorious, Jesus himself, then you love what wisdom hates. And you're on a path to death. And God gave us himself in the person of Jesus Christ that we might have life. He gave Jesus to you and to me so that our immorality can be washed and so that we can be made righteous. He gave Jesus to you and to me so that we can understand what is true and what is right and follow him. He gave Jesus to you and to me so that we can meet the one who created it all. And Jesus would love nothing more than to know you personally and for you to know him personally. If you're watching and you'd like to know more about following Jesus, reach out to us. Find us on the, the website. Send us an email, Info at a Baptist. Maybe there'll be a text message number. Text us. Let us know what's going on in your life. We'd love to tell you more about following and knowing Jesus. Follower of Jesus, Christian, if you're in the room, we're going to sing a song. We're going to sing with Be Still My Soul. That's not a bad place for us to be when we think about the greatness and the grandeur of the God who made everything. And yet, He is so condescending that He would indwell us through His Holy Spirit. That's worth some pause, some praise, and some worship. So as we close out our worship service tonight, sing this song in praise and worship of Jesus, our Savior, and our Creator. Stand with me if you will. Father... You are a great creator. You're glorious and good. You're full of truth and righteousness, morality. And Father, it astounds me that you would make everything and make everything so perfectly that life could happen. And look down on this world in this tiny little place in North Carolina and see this tiny little person who doesn't deserve any of your grace, mercy, care, and compassion. And yet you died to show your love for me. And not just for me, but for everyone in this room, for everyone watching at home, for everyone paying attention on TV or the radio, you died so that they could know you, the creator of everything. Lord, what a truth. It should humble us, it should amaze us, it should drive us to worship. Father, I pray for the one or the many that have not yet become followers of you, that have not yet trusted you as Savior and Lord, will you bring them to a place where they'll follow you? Will you bring them to a place where they'll trust you? Lord God, for those of us that are yours, let us be amazed by you and your creative majesty and the privilege we have to be known by you and even more, the privilege we have to know you. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Remember to like and subscribe wherever podcasts are found.